So today, uh, we will continue on in our series in Proverbs. Uh, Levi, thank you for reading uh, from chapter 3. We'll actually be in chapters 2 and 3 today, uh, continuing on from where we left off last week. When I was in kindergarten, there was this girl. She was everything you could hope for in a kindergarten crush. Blonde hair and little ribbons. When she ate her snack, it wasn't a complete disaster. And well, her smile, it lit up the whole room. All I really wanted in life was to go to recess with her. To go down the slide together, maybe swing. Ideally, maybe enjoy a little snack time together. So as a five-year-old master romantic, I devised a plan. See, we were going to the mall. Uh, my parents, my grandmother, and my, my brother and I, we were going to go to the mall. So as they were looking around, I kind of drifted off and convinced that what every woman wants in the world is jewelry, perfume, and better clothes. I went that direction. And my grandmother, my nanny, she saw me, and she cut right to the chase, as grandmothers tend to do. She asked, what is her name? I had no shame, so I responded, blurted it out, and my grandmother, my nanny, was so kind, um, she took me over to the perfume counter. And we got one of those little sample glass tube things of perfume for like 75 cents. Um, 75 cents is a lot to a kindergartner. And we, we got the lady to give us one of the little jewelry boxes and it fit in a little jewelry box. Yeah, this is legit. Um, kindergartners in the room, you can listen to this. Um, and so... Um, having life been brought to my, to my plan, I, I pick the ideal time a few days later, right before nap time. That is the ideal time. And I, I gave her um, the perfume, and I told her that she was the prettiest girl I had ever seen, and I asked her if she would go to recess with me. <laughs> you see... A lot of times we think love is going to be um, this wonderful, blissful, perfect, sweet moment. Um, And often it turns out to be something else entirely. Well, this was something else entirely. (laughs) She smelled the perfume, kind of turned her nose up at it, dumped it on me, and said to everyone, Josh smells like a girl, he has cooties. And as we all know, cooties are indeed the death mark of kindergarten. So it was a pretty bad day. You see, I thought this girl, just being with her, was going to bring satisfaction to my heart in every single way. And as it turned out, I was wrong. But in fact, it's amazing how... Often, since then, I've been wrong too. 
You see, today's text, Proverbs 2 and 3, asks us a similar question. Who is it that we will love? Our text today presents us with a choice of lovers, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And our choice of lover, the text shows us, answers the question that many of us spend our whole lives asking. How then should we live? So today, we'll follow along as a young man is presented with a choice of lovers. Or in other words, with a choice of how to live his life. In the prologue to this story, we've already covered it in in Proverbs 1, we meet the first character of our story, Lady Wisdom. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, we are shown what the pursuit of Lady Wisdom looks like and the rewards of that pursuit. Next, in verses 12 to 22, we are introduced to Lady Folly and her companion. And we are shown the peril of lusting after her. And finally, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we see just how forgetful and feeble we are as lovers and are shown the help and healing that God offers in his pursuit of us. So as we begin today, let's go to the Lord and ask him for help. God, I pray that you would do a work in this text, in this sermon today that is completely disproportionate to who I am. God, I am feeble and forgetful and weak in my love. So I pray that you would make this truth come alive, that you would send your spirit and power right now, that you would fill this place And that your presence would settle on us and we would realize as we come to the text today that we are encountering you. And God, for those in this room who have forsaken the lust of Lady Folly and chosen to pursue you and Lady Wisdom, but are weak and tired from that journey, God, I pray that this text would be balm to their hurt. They would be encouraged in this time. And God, to the one who is far from you, who is enthralled with Lady Folly, whose life seems to be in shambles, God, that the hope and truth of the gospel would break in today, and you would draw them to yourself. And God, in all things, I pray you would just meet with us and that we would come to see that your word speaks into every area of our lives. So help us to listen well now, we pray. In your name, amen. Our story began last week as we were introduced to the study of Proverbs. Sean kind of walked us through what this book is all about, kind of where we're going in our study of Proverbs, and also briefly introduced us to the first character in our story today, Lady Wisdom. Look with me at the text in chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. 
At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? But if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. It's important to note that Lady Wisdom's character and way, while introduced in chapter 1, is actually kind of carried throughout the entire book of Proverbs. Nonetheless, here in the first chapter, we're introduced to some important aspects of her character that are going to shape the rest of our story today. First, we see from the text that Lady Wisdom is not a reclusive lover. To the contrary, we see in verses 20 and 21 that Lady Wisdom roams the streets looking for someone to instruct. She raises her voice in the market. She cries from atop city walls. She stands at the city gate, inviting, enticing any and all who would come to fall in love with her. Which means today, we are left without the excuse of ignorance. We want to enter into folly saying, I did not know any better. But the character of Lady Wisdom removes that excuse. And we can no longer claim ignorance. Which leads us to the next characteristic of Lady Wisdom. We see next in the text that her very presence challenges every other love in our life. Look at verse 22. Lady Wisdom reproaches the simple ones the fools, the scoffers, and confronts their love of Lady Folly, who we will meet in the next chapter. The cries of Lady Wisdom warn the fool in verse 22 that there are very real consequences to their indifference toward her. And as we see in verses 26 through 28, and again in verses 31 and 32 of chapter 1, the way of folly is destruction, and its end is death. Finally, we see the Lady Wisdom is personified vividly throughout the work so that we might know that wisdom itself is not some abstract thing. It is not only secular or merely academic, but rather wisdom is personal. It is deeply covenantal and it is theological. We see that in verse 29, to hate knowledge is to be indifferent toward Lady Wisdom. And all of that is to reject God himself. Yet the one that loves wisdom loves God. And as we see in verse 33 at the end of chapter 1, the wise will rest secure. And they rest secure, free from worry, because they lie in the surety and safety of God's person and promises. And this brings us to our text today. As we enter chapter 2, we are met with a father offering instruction to his son. It's important to note that while this text is written as a father speaking to his son, today we all enter into it and can heed the wisdom and instruction offered by the wise father in chapters 2 and 3. And the instruction that he offers comes in a story. It comes in the choice between lovers. It is the option between divergent paths. It is the question of how we will live life. 
Look at the text starting in chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The father begins his instruction by exhorting the son to listen attentively. Which means as we read along, as the Father instructs the Son, we should see this instruction as equally useful to us. And important, so important that like the Son, we should commit it to memory. In other words, today the wisdom of the Father is not to be ignored. Also, at the outset of this chapter, it's important to note that this text is different from most others that we read in the Scriptures. It's important to focus today because what come, in what comes next, there are no imperatives. There is no explicit place in chapter 2 where the father tells the son to do or not do anything. Instead, the father is preparing to tell the son a story, a cautionary tale. And he's going to paint a picture of two competing lovers and the consequences of the love that is chosen. And so the father begins in verse 3 by telling the son how he might fall in love with and pursue Lady Wisdom, which is the best love for him. And we see from the text that first we fall in love with Lady Wisdom by yearning for her. Like the kindergartner convinced that this is his real, true love. We are to take the love of wisdom seriously. And engage every faculty in earnest longing after her. The ear is to hear the words of wisdom. The heart is to be applied in understanding of what is heard. And with the voice, inquiry is to be made continually. Seeking the depths for wisdom's riches. And while we saw in chapter 1 that wisdom herself calls out for any that will hear, that does not make our pursuit of her any less challenging. We see next in verse 4 that lady wisdom must be sought after with diligence. Not only must we desire her with every part of our being, we must leverage every part of who we are in ardent pursuit of her. Like the one searching for treasure in Matthew 13, we see here that the pursuit of hidden treasure and the things of God are never easily attained. But as we will see in the verses ahead, and as the reader in Matthew 13 finds also, the pursuit is always worth it. So how do we know that we have obtained wisdom or even that we are on the right path in pursuing it? Look back at the text, starting in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. 
First, we see here in our pursuit of Lady Wisdom that as we gain, that we gain in that pursuit, understanding both in the fear of the Lord that we see in verses 5 and following and in righteousness and justice in verses 9 and following. And as we're going to see later in the text, in verses 12 through 15, we see that we are saved or delivered from the way of evil. And that being saved from that way, in verses 16 and 19, we are also delivered from the gilded, mendacious, habitually dishonest love of Lady Folly. The pursuit of Lady Wisdom, we see in the text, begins in the fear of the Lord, as we also saw last week in chapter 1, verse 7. Verse 5 here points to the reality that as one yearns after and searches after wisdom, they are likely to find God himself and come to know the fear of the Lord. This is natural as God himself is wisdom. There is no other wisdom than that which is in him. And it can come from no other source than him. Esther Meek says it this way. All that is known into existence by him is thereby dependent on him, existing for his praise. As knowers, we stand before his gaze in interpersonal relationship with one who both transcends in authority and power and is near in intimate solidarity as the best kind of story of the father-child relationship. Created reality just is this covenant relationship with God. What this means is that as we pursue wisdom and lay hold of it, we come to know wisdom not as an abstraction, not as a mere proposition. No, instead we come to know the person of God himself. Look back at the text at the verses that we've just read, as we mine the depths of wisdom for treasure, we find in God the rest and protection that our souls have always longed for. We see in the text that wisdom is a shield for the one who walks in integrity. We see that in our pursuit of wisdom, God himself guards the path as we do justice. He watches over the path of his saints. In wisdom, there is protection Not from suffering or persecution necessarily, but from the destruction and death that were outlined in chapter 1. So not only do we gain God and his protection in our pursuit of lady wisdom, but we also gain understanding into righteousness and the justice of God. You see, we were designed for duty and desire to meet in all that we do. And for it to bear fruit of delight. This means that as we pursue wisdom, as we discover increasingly in God a treasure chest of holy joy, the desires of our heart and the duty of submission to God meet and produce in us delight as we do justice and live righteously in the world. As we love God, wisdom comes in. It enters our very hearts and the knowledge And in this knowledge of God, pleasure and delight consume us. Yes, down to our very souls. And this means, please don't miss this. It means 
that it is impossible to find lasting joy, to know peace, or to live the good life apart from the wisdom of God. So what is the good life? It's not having perfume dumped on you. The good life is the love of the wisdom of God that leads us down a path of righteousness into the favor of the Lord. You see, loving wisdom propels us along the way of good. It keeps us on paths of righteousness as we see a little later in the text in verse 21. And in verse 22, we see that the end of wisdom is dwelling secure in the favor of the Lord now and forevermore. Look at the text. The father tells the son, so you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will, will remain in it. You may be here today and saying, what does this wisdom stuff have to do with me? I would argue that it has everything to do. What kind of life are you living? Is it a good life? Is there any ounce of goodness in it at all? And if you answer no, then I promise you that there are no other words that you need to hear today other than Proverbs 2 and 3. What we need is the wisdom of God. So if living the good life is pursuing a love of wisdom that propels us on the path of righteousness into the favor of God, if you're saying, Josh, that this matters so much for me, how in the world do I go about pursuing a love of wisdom? We've already talked about it a little bit. It means that we pursue God. We love Him. Because we see in 1 Corinthians 1 that the full foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We see in Colossians 2 that in Christ are stored all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Ecclesiastes 2, we see that to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom. And in James 1, we find that if any of us lack wisdom, we should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Church, we get to know wisdom by getting to know God. And this love for wisdom is cultivated through our devotion to God in the everyday, through our prayer, our worship, our study of his word, through fellowship in this church, through confession, through repentance. This adds significance to what we do in the everyday. No longer are these merely repetitions in our life. They breathe wisdom and love into our souls and bring us to know wisdom itself, God. If you need wisdom and are not pursuing God in these ways, I can tell you from the Proverbs, you're probably not going to find it. You're probably not going to live a good life. One 
that you might enjoy. So in loving the wisdom of God, not only do we gain the good life both here and now and forevermore, but we are in fact saved from the destruction and death of Lady Folly. Let's look at the text starting in verse 12. We see that wisdom in verse 12 delivers you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her pass to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the pass of life. In verse 12, and again in verse 16, we see that in pursuing Lady Wisdom, we are delivered or saved from the way of evil, which leads to Lady Folly. So if pursuing Lady Wisdom comes in yearning for and seeking after the fear of the Lord, if it progresses into this full-blown wisdom of God at work in our life, doing justice and living righteously in the world, then what does it look like to pursue the allure of Lady Folly? First, we see in verse 12 and again in 16 that this is the path that we are delivered from. It is the path that we first love, and it is the path that even as believers continues to beckon us today. We love folly. And even when we no longer call Lady Folly our love, we are still able to be allured by her. Look at the text. We love the sound of perverted speech, lies, slander, cursing, and gossip. We are comfortable walking the path of darkness, watching pornography, working manipulatively, pursuing adultery, speaking dishonestly. We rejoice in doing evil. We delight in the security and self-preservation of hypernationalism that denies the worth of other humans made in the image of God. We revel in the perverseness of the ends, justifying the means as we pursue more wealth, more status, more stuff at the expense of our family, of our neighbor, of our own souls. What does it look like to pursue the enticement of Lady Folly? It looks like death. And this is where this crooked path leads us to. What do we gain in our indifference toward Lady Wisdom and our hatred of God's way? This path of evil leads us down the way of destruction to Lady Folly's home, death. Lady Folly stands today beckoning us down this path with smooth words and cunning seduction. She has abandoned the love of her youth. She has forsaken her covenant love and she invites us all to do the same. In verse 18, she beckons us to death. And in verse 22, she leads us to be cut off from and rooted out of 
the favor of the Lord. This sounds grim, and it is. So how do we escape the lust of Lady Folly? The wise father does not exhort his son to escape the seduction of Lady Folly by simply running away, by simply averting his eyes. No, instead, it is the love of Lady Wisdom, it is delighting in the way of God that delivers us from the perils of Lady Folly. This means today that a moralist, a legalist, a rule follower will always, don't miss this, will always be unsuccessful in trying to displace their love of the world. Misplaced affections need to be supplanted by a far greater power, by a far greater affection, by the affection that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't need to simply turn our eyes away from the horror of death's gilded beauty. No, we need to turn our eyes instead to the beauty of God and his law, to be captivated by his splendor and to fall in love again with the glory of his majesty. This is really hard. Not only is folly our first love, but even in those seasons where we choose to pursue the love of Lady Wisdom, we are weak and feeble and forgetful in our effort. Look at the text starting in chapter 3. The father writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Church, our hearts are feeble and forgetful in our love of wisdom. So we are met the outset of chapter 3, with an exhortation to remember and to not forget the teaching of chapter 2 and to keep the commandments that we learn to treasure there. We are reminded that protection and peace come to the one who is in love with wisdom. And this reminder comes on the heels of verses 20 through 22 for good reason. If you remember... When we read through that part of the text, we saw in those verses that the one who loves wisdom incurs the favor and the blessing of the Lord, and that the one who loves folly is cut off from the blessing of the Lord and is rooted out of his favor. Does this seem to be your everyday experience? Or do things seem to go another way? How long 
will the, whisk, will the wicked prosper? How frequently do those who engage in the abuse of women and misogyny and misogynoir climb to the top? How often do those who cast out the foreigner, who overlook the widow and ignore the orphan grow in power and in prestige? How often is it that the fast lane to success seems to be paved with lies and manipulation and with deceit? Don't miss this. We are reminded here in this moment that Lady Folly is not unattractive. Her voice is smooth. Her way seems pleasant. And often in this life, her path seems to come adorned with comfort and promotions and power and success. But we read in the text and through the scriptures, time and time again, her way is death. Even though this seems to be the reality in our lives every day, all of this will perish. And God's justice and righteousness and holiness will come about. Because in verses 2 and 3, length of days, years of life, and peace are not added to the lover of lady folly. No, they are added to the one that loves wisdom who forsakes not faithfulness and steadfast love, but instead binds them around their neck and writes them on the tablet of their heart. This is how we find success in the eyes of God and men. We love wisdom. This reminder in verses 1 through 4 serves another purpose as well. It reveals the depth of our need. Look back at the text. In verse 3, it is not more knowledge or facts that need to be written upon our brains. No, we are in need of knowledge made alive in love, personified in wisdom, to be written on our hearts and hung around our necks. The cry of Proverbs 3 echoes the declaration of God in Jeremiah 31. And the text will be up here on the screen. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin No more. Our greatest need is met in wisdom made flesh. The God-man Jesus who came to dwell among us, to walk the path of wisdom perfectly, succeeding in every place where we have failed. And Jesus, the law that we have broken was kept perfectly. 
While we have cheated on God time and time again, Jesus remained faithful to God and to his bride, the church, even to the point of death, death on a cross. While we wandered off the path of wisdom into folly, Jesus never stumbled. Though he was tempted in the wilderness, he did not falter. We see in Hebrews 2 that Jesus was made to be like us in every respect so that he might become for us a merciful and faithful high priest, making propitiation for the sins of the people. And it is because in verse 18 that he himself suffered when tempted, that he is able to meet us today in our suffering with help and hope. In Hebrews 4, we find again that God is not unable right now in this moment to sympathize with us in our weakness, but because Jesus was tempted in every respect as we are and yet was without sin, we can draw near to the throne of grace and we draw near in confidence, knowing that when we get there, we will find mercy and grace for our time of great need. Church, as we are tempted in this world and as we are drawn in by the allure of Lady Folly, as we suffer and as we sin and as we see the wicked prosper, we are reminded from the whole of Scripture that we can turn from folly and trust Him. We can trust God. So we come to verse 5. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Indeed, in the face of sin and suffering in the world, we are to trust God with our entire heart. We're to trust his wisdom with every aspect of our being. I'm going to say it again. In every way, we are to trust him. In the suffering ways, in the missed promotion ways, in the rebellious child ways, we trust him. In the ways where injustice seems to reign, in the ways where death's grip seems too real and too powerful, we trust him. In the ways where your spouse is distant and discord feels closer than care, trust him. And in the ways where the empire of racism, misogyny, injustice, and abuse seem unchallenged and unabated, trust him. Trust his wisdom. Trust his justice. We can trust God with every single area of our lives. There is not one inch of our existence. There does not exist a single challenge that we will face where we cannot trust that the wisdom of God is our good. Abraham Kuyper says that in the entire cosmos, there is not one square inch where God has not declared mine. He is at work in all of it. He is at work in wisdom and in love. In church, in Jesus, wisdom is no longer far off. 
It isn't some heady proposition. No, wisdom, it put on humanity. It entered into our world. It understood the depth of our need. Wisdom saw the folly of the world. It saw the folly of you and me. And it went to the cross and it died and it was raised three days later so that we would no longer fear but could trust. Wisdom died so that the word of wisdom would be written on our hearts so that we would delight in duty so that we might be able to live the good life here and now. This reminder in chapter 3 is not insignificant. Trusting God is hard. It's brutal. It's war. And you may be sitting here today shell-shocked from suffering, exhausted under the weight of your anxiety and desperate for relief to come. How then do you trust God today? It's by realizing, as Jerry Bridges writes, that trust is not a passive state of mind, but it is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. If we are going to learn to trust God in adversity, we must believe God will allow nothing, not a single thing to subvert his glory. And so he will allow nothing, church, to spoil the good he is working out in us and for us. In order to trust God, then, we must always view our adverse circumstances through eyes of faith that see that nothing is so small or so trivial as to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. And nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. Indeed, as we come to know and love Jesus, we experience in our very souls the heart of wisdom. We come to know the heart of God. And wisdom, written on our hearts, bound around our necks, changes us forever. Trusting God, loving wisdom, It heals us. Look back at the text in verse 7. The Father says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. As we love Lady Wisdom, as we abandon our lust after lady folly. As we fear the Lord and turn from evil, God's word written on our hearts becomes balm for our souls and refreshment for our spirit. I'm preaching this today as somebody, not that has this whole thing nailed down, I am as feeble and forgetful as the next. I need 
healing in my flesh and refreshment in my bones. As I conclude, I want to tell you a story. The story of my wife and me and our pursuit of adoption about the pain and the joy of loving wisdom and trusting God. Some of you have heard part of this. A few of you know all of it. Many of you know none of it. This journey for us began with the Bible. With seeing God's heart for the orphan. And we fell in love. Caring for orphans is near and dear to the heart of God. And it has become near and dear to our heart as well. So over four years ago. My wife and I decided to pursue adoption. We knew the Lord was for us in this. He loves adoption. We prayed about it. We talked with many of you about it. We felt it was wise to pursue it, and so we did. We started a local infant adoption here in Raleigh. We were doing our paperwork and moving along, and in the middle of that, Tracy's niece called. And she said, I'm pregnant, and I don't know that I can care for this kid. Would you want my baby? Selfishly, we wanted to just say yes, but we we prayed about it. We talked to many of you, and we thought it would be wise to say yes. we'll, We'll care for your baby. But she decided to keep her child. And I praise God for that because it's working out. But it doesn't mean it didn't hurt. And so we went back to pursuing an adoption here in Raleigh. Where we started. And in the middle of that again, we were met with the opportunity for my work to take me to Germany. For a new job opportunity that would free me up to love this church better. That would challenge us in evangelism. It seemed like the wise thing to do. We put it in front of our elders, and they said, go in peace. And so we went, but in going to Germany, it meant that we couldn't adopt locally here in Raleigh. So after more than two years, we were faced with two failed adoptions and no children. And the questions began to creep in. Have we somehow failed we somehow disobedient to God? How did we miss his will? We were encouraged by many of you and we got to Germany and we saw that there was an opportunity for us to pursue adoption from Poland. So we did and so we are. And after two years, every single thing that could have gone wrong has gone wrong in our adoption from Poland. And we are here now, four years later, right where we started. My wife and I love wisdom. We love God. And that does not mean that doubts don't creep in. 
that doesn't mean that this loving, wisdom, trusting God thing isn't really hard and that it never hurts. I can promise you this. As I have read the scriptures, as I have searched God's word, as I have heard his heart, as I have been met by his steadfast love and faithfulness time and time again, I can tell you that the love of wisdom is worth it. That trusting God is worth it, even when it hurts. And the steadfast love of the Lord has taught me this. That these failures in our adoption, they are not roadblocks. No, they are guardrails keeping us on the right and good path that he has for us. They are his kindness to us. So do we always understand this path? No, by no means do we understand But as we look at God's word, as we seek wisdom, there we find strength to trust that God can do nothing else other than lead us down straight paths. So I don't know where your hurt is today. I can't know the depth of what you're experiencing. But I can hold out to you from the word of God that God has a better way. He has his way. He offers wisdom and love. He offers faithfulness and has said his faithful kindness, steadfast love that never, ever fails. And he invites us into it. So today we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And God invites us in this time to cast off our lust of Lady Folly, and to renew our passionate pursuit of Lady Wisdom. He invites us to love Him. Because in this meal, we see that wisdom came. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. That we might remember that all of God's promises to us are amen. They happen. They're true. And they don't fail. Some of you still love Lady Folly. You have not yet come near to the love of God. So while this meal isn't for you, this time is. Cry out to God that Christ would come in and show you the beauty, the majesty, the glory of what God has for you in calling you child. And come to know the sweetness of his promises. Let's pray.